Welcome back to episode 6 of the Points Hunters podcast. My name is Rishi and in this episode I'm going to take a bit more of a general outlook on what the life of air travel might look like post-COVID-19 and how it might change over the next 2, 3 and to 5 years. Now I need to start this by saying that none of us really know. There is no crystal ball. We can't just look into how things will exactly play out. And there's still so many variables with each country and how they're currently tackling COVID-19. So until there's more of an understanding of how close we might be to vaccination, what the actual levels of deaths and new cases per country, per region might change, there is really not a clear way of expressing how air travel might fit into that picture. But what I want to focus on is how air travel might change, and particularly around the idea of kind of cheap flights and cheap travel, which a lot of people have been accustomed to um, over the recent years. So I think one way to really look at it is that people generally over the last kind of decade have become accustomed to the idea of cheap airline tickets. Me personally as well get quite a satisfaction out of scoring bargains when it comes to cheap travel. Um, I myself have you know, managed to fly outrageous prices on low-cost carriers. For example, I flew from London to Cologne uh, for about £8 single. I've flown to Prague from London for about £20. I've done the same from London to Milan for about £25 single. So these are just astronomical, low airline off-peak flights that I've been able to find on low-cost carriers. now. So this coupled with the growth of uh, booking very far in advance, booking last minute, um, technology, social media, being able to book travel, uh, flights and hotels very easily and very quickly, and then also scoping out deals on a lot of low-cost carriers which are in great competition. Um, a lot of the travel, especially around domestic and Europe markets, have grown massively. I think it's also tempting to think that the passenger numbers will soon bounce back to where they were prior to 2019, but in many ways, 2020 has been a turning point for the global av aviation industry. Now, 2019, I think, is the year that will mark the kind of low point of airline ticket prices. Um, and in the next kind of five years, we'll see a slow, gradual increase um, kind of back up, which will kind of reverse the long historical downward trend that we've seen over particularly the last four decades when it's come to the kind of extraordinary democratization of air travel. Um, so 2020 will definitely be a, you know, very low demand. Now, as I said, again, don't have a crystal ball, don't really know exactly how it's going to play out. But I'm just putting a th few ideas out there to see what the scenarios could be in how the next kind of two to five years plays out. The best way to look at it is to go back to the historic change in the whole airline aviation industry in general. So uh, back in kind of 1978, there was the kind of first deregulation um, act in the USA, which at the time meant that states before that could pair different cities together, meaning that most of the big airlines had a lack of competition. So they, they took most of the market share. Now, this also meant that they could charge high prices and generally there was an elitist mentality. So mainly only the wealthy could fly. And this also meant there were more perks in terms of luggage um, that you could take on board access to food, airline lounges, and flying was generally more of a premium luxury. Now, this wasn't good for consumers, so there had to be a new emergence of kind of low-cost airlines, and this kind of started around 1978. Now, these low-cost airlines focused on just bringing down costs to as low as 
physically possible. Now, this meant bringing the operation um, costs down, and they generally did a single aisle, medium, long haul aircraft that they ran, and they tended to fly to second airport. So, in the UK, for example, many people would probably know Luton and kind of Stansted, these small non regional airports that aren't really in London, and they result in a quick turnaround of flights meaning that the actual airlines have their airlines in the air longer, so they spend more time flying where they can actually make money. Obviously, these low-cost airlines don't give you, you know, carry-on luggage. Uh, you have to pay for that separately. They don't give you food. Um, but consumers have become accustomed to the idea of having these low prices, and these low prices mean that they can travel more frequently and do these kind of more short-haul weekend breaks, um, especially around Europe, which I know um, is a big thing for kind of UK travellers and, you know, especially like many families that look forward to doing this on a yearly basis when they're vacation holidays, cost airlines. What these airlines were doing was they were buying bulk aircraft for Boeing and Airbus uh, at huge discounts from from those uh, manufacturers. What they would do is they would operate those aircraft for a few years. And then once they were done, they would just sell them on the secondhand aircraft market to other airlines. And generally, they would be able to sell them for higher cost than what they uh, had actually purchased for themselves. So I think it was good to just do a recap on what, how we've ended up in the emergence of low cost travel, especially around kind of Europe and in domestic countries around the world. So I think the best way to categorize it now. I think there's going to be three main scenarios that play out over the coming years. So scenario one would be that 2020 is kind of seen as a lost year. 2021 allows for a gradual increase in passenger numbers to like a pre-COVID 2019 levels. Scenario two is where 2020 and 2021 are both kind of lost years. And maybe we only see a gradual increase in 2022 to kind of pre-COVID levels. And in scenario three, which is more of a kind of disaster scenario to the aviation industry and kind of people in general, is that 2020 to kind of 2022 are seen as kind of lost years and there's no recovery really until kind of 2023. So we break it down in those scenarios. If I went over scenario one, for example, I think what will likely happen is that 2020 being a lost year, passengers are unlikely to travel, financially struggling airlines will go bankrupt, which we've already seen some elements of. Big numbers of air crew, pilots, operational staff are losing their jobs with airlines announcing more cuts. And generally, the big legacy airlines are the ones that are getting bailed out, which we've already started seeing, particularly around Virgin Atlantic or British Airways in the UK. Now, governments might look to bail out with loans, which these airlines need to pay back. But generally, what we'll find is that they'll tie um, kind of green and climate agendas, which are more long term policies, which they want the airlines to abide to. Now, low-cost airlines in this scenario uh, will obviously continue doing what they're best at, which is try and bring costs down, um, as they usually do. But they'll try and do this through probably looking at labor unions to try and uh, bring down the salary of wages down uh, and kind of more contracts. Otherwise, we'll see more low-cost airlines going out of business. What will then happen is we'll find that with more of the not-competitive low-cost carriers going out of business, the low-cost airlines that do survive will have less competition. So if they're able to ride out the next couple of years, coupled with at least short-term low oil prices, which we've seen, then they might be able to actually increase their market share. So the low-cost airlines that do are able to survive will obviously naturally increase their market share. What we'll find is that 2019 levels will not be seen again in 2020 or 2021 in terms of the extreme lows, but we might see some lower-cost fares in the future. 
Now, in scenario two, what we'll generally find is that consumer behavior would not massively change over the next couple of years, mainly due to the desire of consumers to travel, which they've not been able to do. The desire to travel will still be very strong. The problem will be that COVID-19, as we've already seen, has been impacting millions of people all over the world, and particularly low to medium income households, which are generally the ones which would be targeting the low cost kind of carriers. So what we might find is that they might not have the actual income um, to travel as much as they want to. They might change their behaviors in the short term to kind of holiday in different ways, kind of domestically. But scenario two will generally have legacy carriers mainly operating um, due to bailouts from kind of governments. Now, short term oil prices will obviously help that. But I think in the in the kind of short to medium term, oil prices will stay low. Oil producers will generally um, go out of business, the ones that weren't competitive enough with the kind of crash in oil prices. So in the short term, prices will stay low. But then as we move into a medium term, the actual supply of oil will decrease, which will then lead to a natural increase in demand. So oil prices will go back up. Um, so only really the kind of private um, carriers and the ones that are able to kind of survive the next kind of couple of years from government bailouts, from kind of additional loans and income that they can generate, will, able, will be able to survive. The secondary market of aircraft will be more competitive, which will allow for more cheap aircraft to be available for airlines. And this might result in these low cost airlines looking to buy kind of more longer haul, which they'll use as a strategy to kind of increase their market share. So generally the aircraft and the airline providers, which are not able to be competitive, will be the ones that we'll see less of. Uh, and they'll be taken over in terms of market share by the low cost carriers, which are able to kind of survive. So again, in this scenario too, we'll see more of an emergence kind of in 2021 end of maybe 2022. But again, we won't see the kind of extreme lows that we saw in 2019. Now, scenario three would involve the loss of 2020, 2021, 2022, really not a recovery in kind of global travel levels to kind of pre-COVID 2019 levels until about 2023. Now, this scenario would be considered more of a disaster scenario to the airlines. This kind of scenario would mo more than definitely involve a COVID-19 resurgence in terms of a second and third wave across many countries in, um, in the world. Now, if this was to happen, it would mean that there would be a huge drop in cash flow for airlines for the next kind of two to three years. Only legacy and government flagship brands and national kind of airlines would be able to survive. And then it will generally become more expensive. Um, affordable tickets won't kind of exist. It will return to kind of more of a tiered system of flying in terms of income, which we saw decades ago when, you know, premium travel or travel in general was just seen more as more of a luxury. And this kind of scenario would be, would be more of a disaster, more of a kind of impacting scenario to the wider consumer base and a scenario which you know people don't want to see we don't want to see the emergence of travel really going back to how it was for kind of four years that would be a huge a kind of nightmare scenario for many people now out of these scenarios out of these three which one do i think is potentially uh just my opinion more likely to kind of play out i think there will be a shift between kind of scenario one and kind of into scenario two so i think the most likely scenario that could play out and this is just taking into account the you know social distancing is not something that can be enforced on airplanes in the same way that we expect in terms of blocking out middle aisle seats. We've already seen that the actual air conditioning systems on airplanes don't really will actually prove that there's not really a benefit in kind of blocking out a middle seat because the actual air that's generated through the aircon that moves around the cabin is not able to be kind of sanitized in that kind of manner. So if there weren't a huge amount of 
strict changes on board that could really, really massively reduce the number of people on a, on, on a plane. I think the scenarios that are likely to play out are between one and two, where we see a dip in 2020, a recovery into kind of 2021, which will kind of extend more into kind of 2022, where we start seeing levels of travel go back. Now, the effects that this might have in the wider safety travel experience um, at airports, I think generally would be that it just won't be as fun. What we'll have is we'll have more delays in airports. We'll probably have longer turnarounds, especially with the low-cost carriers. Longer queues, potentially more protections and checks. In terms of technology, we'll probably have more, in the long run, more kind of autonomous robots cleaning and sterilizing, kind of packaged foods at airports, especially in lounges, more requirements to to actually wear, you know, kind of masks, kind of these temperature checks taken more online check-in, more self-check-in, obviously to try and kind of impact or decrease the amount of interaction at airports. At the moment, Hong Kong have been trialing a sterilizing pod that takes about 40 seconds and completely can sterilize a traveler. I think all of these in general will result in a less fun uh, traveling experience for kind of the end consumer. When this will obviously impact the way the kind of quick turnarounds happen, especially with the low cost uh, carriers. To mitigate the risk of infection midair in this age of pandemic, when people start flying again, airports and airlines are likely to institute safety measures that will make their operations less efficient. Like some of the measures instituted after the terrorist attacks of September 11th in the USA, some of these measures will persist and endure even after the threat has disappeared. Most of the general measures being discussed include the antibody test at the point of departure or at arrival, Passengers having to go through thermal scanning and passing through a disinfection channel, as I mentioned previously, in addition to the security screening, sanitization of checked in and carry on luggages, which will obviously cause quite a few delays, and obviously physical distancing at the airport as well in terms of waiting areas in the airport lounges, empty middle seats on planes, which might happen, but will be time will only tell, uh, and frequent deep cleaning of aircrafts uh, and others. The cost of these measures will be passed on to the passengers and will, generally speaking, translate to higher ticket price. So I think for general population of travellers, the average person wanting to get away on a holiday um, just for leisure, I think until a vaccine is discovered, most people would not feel safe travelling unless they have a compelling reason to do so. With the precipitation of demand globally, airlines around the world are obviously taking a huge hit, which I've covered on in my previous episodes, specifically around the UK airlines such as BA and Virgin Atlantic that have uh, announced various cuts in terms of staffing going forward. The IATA in America has estimated that airlines globally will lose at least $314 billion due to the total outbreak from COVID-19. Airlines are therefore trying to strap as much cash as physically possible, but the ones that don't will buckle and likely fail. Post-COVID-19, the reduction in competition will eventually translate to some level of higher prices. What we don't know is when that might start and how long that process will go on for. Now, when the dust does settle, whether by reason of conscience, aversion to kind of novel pathogens or dislike of higher prices, Many will put off traveling to the sky uh, for at least some time. Air travel will return to its state previously in earlier decades where it was seen as more of a luxury. Now tying this over to the overall theme of, you know, points and miles hunting and trying to kind of stretch your money to go as far as possible. I guess in terms of airline loyalty programs, airlines haven't had to pay much attention to their programs over the last few years in general. 
because they haven't really had to fill empty seats. The margin profits have generally been quite high. So the actual need to try and hook in as many frequent flyers as possible hasn't been so persistent or at the forefront of many airlines. But obviously, naturally going forward, this will have to change. What this could lead to could be some kind of renaissance or rejuvenation of the frequent flyer programs, which haven't really changed too much in the last uh, few years, because fundamentally they're the primary marketing vehicle that airlines have between the relationship between them and their travelers and frequent travelers. So the overall engagement and marketing at this demographic of travelers will increasingly become more important. The decision for many to travel over the next 6 to 12 months will come down to a responsibility far beyond their own safety. People will be needing to think about all the people that they come in contact with, which also brings this idea of uh, social responsibility as well. The problem with COVID-19 is that those being irresponsible aren't just hurting themselves, but are potentially harming others. And we also really don't know how long this can go on for? And is there a way to balance those interests and support tourism while not putting others at risk in an irresponsible way? I understand those who say that they won't travel until there's a vaccine. And in many ways, I don't imagine many people will want to anyway. At the same time, it could take years for us to even rekindle a sense of kind of global tourism. This will obviously lead to hundreds, if not millions of people whose livelihoods are affected and kind of will take a permanent immeasurable toll on society in that regards. So I think that if we agree on that there is an irresponsible manner to start consciously traveling over the next coming weeks and months, kind of look at the idea that is there an option to travel to places where you can travel, which is less harmful from the effects of coronavirus, where the pandemic is more under control and when there are tests and tracing going on. And also, is there a way to travel responsibly before and after travel to make sure that you don't spread the virus to others, especially to those who potentially might be vulnerable? So just to wrap up, today we focused on my opinion on how the travel industry might play out over the next coming one to two years in terms of the different scenarios and what likely could happen. Obviously, it's a very changing situation at the moment, almost week by week. Um, So again, just my opinion, um, but I think it's worth uh, just kind of getting some content out there in terms of how things might change. If you found this episode useful, then please share it with your friends and family. In regards to my socials, if you could follow me, it really helps with the growth of the brand and the podcast. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Points Hunters, where I post daily. You can find me on Instagram uh, and on Facebook as well at Points Hunters. Thank you for making it so far into this episode. My name is Rishi, signing out, and I'll see you in a future episode. Mm-hmm.